Good morning. It's kind of funny. When I started speaking and traveling around the world a few years ago, I made this deal with God, which never really works. But I thought that God told me that he would never send me to cold places. And like I've been to Nebraska, I've been to Wisconsin, I've been to Washington, but it was like after the winter had passed. Um, But God reminded me today that he's always in control and that I am not. I will tell you that I went back and forth when my in-laws invited me here just because sometimes you get a little nervous. You're not exactly sure how your story is going to be received. But then all of this craziness started happening just a couple months ago. And I won't get too specific because that's not what I'm here for. But there's been some legislation passed and we've heard abortion talked about as you know, uh, reproductive rights and freedom and a woman's choice. And people have chosen, unfortunately, to say that's too political and that's none of my business. And so we're taking this really apathetic approach. And when I I heard all of that, um, my heart Uh, became really burdened uh, to be here and to explain to you what that choice is really actually like in hopes that you can speak passionately um, in support of life, but also compassionately towards um, and on behalf of women that have made that choice or are struggling with that choice uh, now, today. So like many of you, I grew up in a really Christian home. We were Baptist. I'm the youngest of five girls, and I will tell you with that many females in one house, there was obviously some drama, but we were kind of like moderately dysfunctional, but we were pretty normal. Like my parents were and still are married, and I grew up in the church. My dad was on the worship team, so I was that little girl that was in church, uh, of course, for two or three services on Sunday, and then Monday night Awanas, and then my parents' Bible study, and then I would sneak into Bible, uh, excuse me, worship practice, band practice with my dad. And then when you go to a really small church of like 150 and your parents are on staff, anytime like a wall needs to be painted or there's a project, you get signed up. See, I see hands. So (laughs) I was literally raised in the church. I made the decision to get baptized at like seven or eight, accept Jesus into my heart. I never, ever doubted that God was real. But at about 14 or 15, freshman year of high school, my attitude changed a little bit. And it became where, yes, I would go to church, but it was really just out of routine. And I would stand up and I would sing the songs, but I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And the problem with that is when you don't make your faith your own, as you know, is Satan loves to get in the space that you leave between you and God, right? And that's what happened. So at about that freshman year of high school, I started doing some really dumb things, one of which, just so you know a little bit more about me, when I was 14, I decided to go to someone's apartment and get a random tattoo um, by a former gang member. I mean, just stupid, stupid things. And I come from a good home. I was just acting dumb. And my parents actually didn't find out until I was 16. Um, And I had it printed in the school yearbook because I knew my parents would never see. But just to give you some perspective about the things I was up to. And also at 16, I met a boy that was about three years older than me. And, (laughs) right. And everything kind of changed. I compromised a lot of my morals. The relationship became very adult. I was like, you know, my parents, they're great, but they're really old. And the Bible, it's really great, but it's really old. And it's not really relevant. And so I'm just going to start having sex and, well, like, who cares? Everybody's doing it. I'm 16 years old. I am an adult. I know what's best for me. And 
as you can imagine, that mentality caught up to me uh, rather quickly. And by 17, the summer before my senior year of high school, I found out that I was pregnant with my first child. I was still enrolled in the school. I'm from a very conservative middle to upper middle class community. I had already applied to colleges. I was going to go to school and be a broadcast um, news person. Like this was not supposed to happen to a girl like me. Or that's what we think, right? Like it doesn't, it's not the girls sitting in our church pews. It's the girls that grow up on the wrong side of the tracks, right? That have all this drama and this dysfunction. And it's just not true. No one is immune to, um, sexual promiscuity and unplanned pregnancies and abortion. Nobody. I wasn't. And so I was terrified and my dad was mad and my family was shocked. But I thought, you know, we didn't really talk about things like sex and relationships and abortion in my house uh, ever. Clearly, this is how I ended up in this situation. That's what happens when you don't talk about things. This is why this is a very healthy conversation that we're having. And uh, I just decided, you know what? I think abortion is wrong. I'm going to choose life for this baby. And actually, at 17 years old, I had a very naive outlook, but I'm kind of thankful for that. I had this idea that I would choose life, and I would choose parenting, and I would kind of tote this baby around like a dog in a purse, and we were going to go to school together, and we were going to go to college together. And it's unrealistic, and it's silly, but you know what? It kept me from doing something I probably would have regretted. So I'm thankful for it. And within about a nine-month time frame, the time it takes to grow a fully formed human baby, a lot happened in my life. I uh, gave birth to my son, Eli, and I turned 18, and I got accepted and started attending uh, Sacramento State University. I graduated from high school, and my parents were so proud. It was like all those horrible things and all these statistics about teen moms and girls like me, I was kind of shattering them. And everybody was proud and I was excited. And I wish I could say that my story ends there and that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Uh, But it doesn't and it didn't. And that's not the focus of my story. Instead, about six months into that new life, which if you do the math, that is six months into my freshman year of college, six months into being an 18-year-old legal adult, and six months into my son's first year of life, things took a turn for the worst. And the relationship I was in was already bad from the beginning, but as a young, naive girl trying to fix things, I never told anyone. There was verbal abuse, there was physical abuse, there was a sex and porn addiction, there was a drug addiction, I was being hit. It was horrific, but I just thought, he's gonna change, he's gonna change, and no one knew. And finally it got to the point where my son and I were no longer safe, I was 18, I almost had a one-year-old baby, and I was terrified. And I said, you know what, I can't do this, I have to tell someone, he may get in trouble, but there's no other choice. And I thought again that my parents would disown me, but they didn't, and instead they offered grace and extended love to me, and they said, Becky, we want to see you finish school. We want you to live here with us. We, we fully support you leaving this person. He's already left you. He's made different choices. Um, we're on board to help you, and I was so relieved, and I was so excited, and it was this uh, response that I had never expected, but something at that same time was kind of stirring in me, and I was a little bit nervous and kind of anxious and looking forward to my new life, but something just didn't feel right, and I'm like, what's going on? I'm a little panicky. I wonder if I could be pregnant again, and I thought, no, there's absolutely no way, but as a young girl trying to 
fix things with their boyfriend, right? I, there was still a sexual relationship going on. We'd broken up. We'd gotten back together. I mean, it was highly dysfunctional. And I thought, there's a chance, but I'm not pregnant. I'm just going to take a pregnancy test just to relieve my nerves and to calm myself down and to move on with my life. And so I drove to a grocery store, and I was too scared to actually bring the test back into my parents' home because my dad had always said, Becky, we're going to help you with the first baby. Don't you dare get pregnant under my roof again. Otherwise, you're going to have to go. And of course, like nobody thinks about that when they're having sex. But after, you're like, oh, crap. What is going to happen? So I didn't want to bring it into their house. So I drove to uh, the grocery store and I bought a pregnancy test and I took it and I sat on the dirty floor because I didn't know about places like pregnancy centers like I invited to be here today. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And alone and scared, I'm sitting there holding a pregnancy test, and within probably 20 seconds, I see two bright pink lines, and it was positive. And I thought, oh my gosh, how can this be happening again? Like, why me? And of course, like, I know how it happened, but, but like, why, why me? Like, the one time. And sure enough, I was pregnant again, and at this point, I was a month away from being 19 years old, so I'm still 18. I have a 10 or 11 month old baby. I think we have pictures of me and my then almost one year old. So this is Eli. So here's our life and things are kind of going good and I think we have one more. Yep. (laughs) And so this was my life and it all flashed before me in that bathroom stall and I thought, Eli and I are going to get kicked out. My parents are going to disown us. There goes my, uh, my daycare, my support. I'm going to have to drop out of school. I absolutely don't believe in abortion, but right now I would rather face my heavenly father later than have to face my physical earthly father now. And I need to have an abortion, and no one can ever know about this. And it was sad. It was devastating. It was not a decision I made out of empowerment. It was a decision I made out of feeling like there were no other choices available to me. Again, I didn't know about pregnancy centers. I didn't know there were people at churches or in ministry that cared about girls like me. No one talked about girls like me at the church I grew up in. And I thought, this is a problem, and I need a fix for it now. And so before even leaving there... I turned to my phone like so many of us do, and I just typed in abortion clinics near me. And I live in California, and it's not, the climate, the political climate isn't too, too different, but within about a 20 mile radius of my home in Sacramento, there were actually eight abortion clinics. And so having access to abortion was something I grew up with. It was kind of like next door. I knew where to go, and I found a clinic that was close enough to my university where no one would really see me. I could drop my son off at daycare. No one would know. And I also found out online that there were two types of abortions that I could have because I was early on. I could have a standard surgical procedure or... I could have what's called a chemical abortion, sometimes called a medication abortion, uh, sometimes just simply called the abortion pill. Has anybody heard of this? Of course you have because it's marketed to our age group. And online, medication abortion is described as uh, more simple. It's about a third of the cost. It's less invasive. You don't have to have surgery. It's really just like your menstrual cycle. Like it's really no big deal. And people actually get plan B 
and the abortion pill confused. And I'm gonna take a second just to clear that up while I'm here because it drives me nuts. So plan B is what they consider to be um, the morning after pill, sometimes referred to as backup birth control. And what it does is it doesn't stop conception so sperm and egg can meet, but it stops implantation. So if plan B works correctly, a girl will never detect pregnant on a pregnancy test. She'll never even know if she, was, if she had conceived because implantation was impossible. The way that medication abortion works is a woman is already pregnant, there is already a baby, the baby's heart has already started beating, and the first pill that you take, called the abortion pill, also called mifepristone, also called RU486, deprives the baby of an essential nutrient called progesterone. It's sort of like if I were to take away oxygen away from you. What happens to the baby? The baby dies. There's just no easy way for me to say it. The baby passes, and 24 hours later, after you take that first pill, you're sent home with a second set of drugs called misoprostol. Misoprostol, unbeknownst to me at the time, is given to women in active labor at 40 weeks, and it dilates your cervix and causes you to contract, which is why they say to expect pain and contracting and cramping. And then, again, this is an easy way to say this, you deliver your five, six, seven, eight, nine, or 10-week fetus over a toilet, and you're instructed just to flush it down the toilet. Again, there's nothing pretty, there's nothing normal, common is not normal, about medication abortion. But I didn't know this. I believed the hype, I believed the marketing, this is way easier than a surgical procedure. And so I visited that clinic, and I took my now ex, ex with me, because I didn't really have any support. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and it was kind of like everything you expect an abortion clinic to be. It was in a shadier part of town and no one's really happy to see you and like it's just it's just dark there's like a dark gloom over the entire facility right and finally I was called back and we both stood up and they said actually he's not allowed back here and I thought well that's kind of weird but I don't really like him anyways so and he's high as a kite and I'm like you can just sit right here <laughs> making the whole room reek like weed you can just sit right here and I was pulled back into another room, and they told me that if I wanted to have my abortion, um, I had to watch this video. And so sometimes you hear people talk about like pre-abortion counseling and how these girls are really informed about what's going to happen. And truthfully, this was the extent of my pre-abortion counseling. They open a cupboard in 2013. They pull out a TV with a VHS player in 2013, and on comes this video, and the actors are dressed like they dressed in Full House, and I'm quickly realizing that this video was probably filmed in the early 90s before I was even born, and all it was was an actor laying on the couch with a heating pad, and it says, if you're having some pain, have someone bring you a heating pad and a snack, and I'm like, I have no one to bring me a heating pad or a snack, and then I'm like, this isn't even specific to medication abortion. They didn't talk about taking a pill. They didn't talk about passing the baby over the toilet. I had no clue what was going to happen to my body after uh, watching this video, but this was the extent of my pre-abortion counseling. So I'm still scared and I'm still nervous, and I get pulled back into another room, another separate waiting room, and it was almost like herded cattle, because this is where all of the girls sat that were going to have their abortions that day. And it was sad, because there were probably seven to ten of us all look, looking depressed and lifeless and like we didn't want to be there, but, but just thinking that there were no other choices. And people ask, how does a Christian girl um, end up in a room like that? 
And I think the best way to describe it is if you picture yourself and you're driving on the freeway and you've got you know, Google Maps and you've got your destination planned out and Surrey's telling you where to go and you're confident you're gonna get there and everything's fine and all of a sudden it starts to get like super foggy or it starts to hail or in this part of the country it starts to snow and then you're scared and Surrey has going, is going in and out and your car is hydroplaning and you're terrified and you're like, I have to get out of here. Uh, this path is now headed for nowhere good. I need to take the nearest exit off of what feels like a crazy train and for us, the girls in that room, that is what this unplanned pregnancy felt like. And the nearest exit out of there was the abortion clinic. It was mind over matter. This is where we had to be. And I was pulled back into another room and she started the ultrasound and I had already had a baby the year before. So I had a general idea of how this was supposed to go. And she's doing the monitor and doing the monitor and she's not saying anything. And the whole time the screen is faced away from me. And because she's so quiet, I'm laying there thinking, well, this is great. I must not be pregnant because she's so quiet. She obviously doesn't see anything. And before I knew it, she pulled the ultrasound probe out and I sat up and I actually had to say the words, am I pregnant? And she said, yeah, yeah, you're pregnant. And I saw that something had printed out on the other side of the room and she went to go put it in a folder. And I looked and I said, is that my ultrasound? And she said, it is. And I asked, well, can I keep it? Like this was the only thing I was ever gonna have with this baby. It was a sad decision for me. I just wanted something to remember him or her by. And she said, actually, no. The only way you can do that is if you pay a $35 fee, check or money order, you write a letter to our clinic director and we will mail you your sonogram images uh, to your house. And I'm like, okay, I live with my dad. <laughs> And my dad holds my mail up to the light, and this is not gonna fly. Like, never mind, just keep it. I'll never have anything to remember this baby, but I just want to start the abortion today. And she very casually, not really giving me the time of day or caring about my situation, said, yeah, it's Friday, and it's like 3 p.m. She checks her watch, and we don't give the abortion pill on Fridays. I'm like, okay, why am I here? And now I'm an emotional wreck. I'm slowly but surely running out of time. Uh, and the state of California had nine weeks to go through with this decision. It's now 10 weeks, two and a half months pregnant. And she said, it's okay, come, come back next week. They made a follow-up appointment. And that Wednesday came and my niece ended up in ICU. And so I had to stay home with not only my child, but like 10 or 11 of my nieces and nephews. And so there was no way I was getting out of the house and lying to everybody and having this abortion. And the entire time I'm thinking, gosh, what else could go wrong? Like everything keeps getting in the way of this abortion. But I never thought it was God. I, I never thought God was saying like, pause Rebecca, I've got you, I've got this figured out. What was created in sin is not sin. I have a plan for this baby. I didn't think it was any of that. Instead, I thought it was frustrating and I was scared and I wasn't talking to anybody and I wasn't praying. And so I turned to a different clinic, a more well-known clinic. And I'm not here to bash Planned Parenthood. That's not my MO. Um, I tend to speak loving and, and lovingly and with grace, but I'm just gonna tell you my experience. And so I found Planned Parenthood's website. They had locations everywhere. And my experience there was similar. Only instead of watching a video, they have you fill out a very long questionnaire and it asks you things like, have you considered parenting? Do you want a parent? You would check no. Have you considered adoption? You would check yes. Do you want a, information about adoption? You would check no. And that was the extent of my pre-abortion counseling at the Planned Parenthood facility. Now, I don't know why I was expecting them to give me 
any type of like Christian advice, right? Because I'm here, I'm going to a place that doesn't share the same morals as me, and I'm expecting an outcome that is good in God's eyes. Like that just doesn't add up. I had no business being in a facility like this. And so I was pulled back into the ultrasound room, and this time she says, do you want to see the monitor? And I thought, thank you, this is a clinic that's for me, pro me, and I said, yes, absolutely, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and she said, just so you know, um, we don't see a heartbeat, so this might not be a viable pregnancy, and I'm not saying she's lying, I don't know that, I cannot say that, but what I do know is that hearing that my baby's heart had either maybe stopped beating, and I was going to miscarry anyways, or I didn't know much about fetal development, maybe the heart hadn't started beating yet, this made my decision that much easier. And I thought, okay, and I was pulled back into a separate room and they said, all you have to do now is we're gonna take a sample of your blood and then you can have the abortion. And so they went to find a vein and she tried and she tried and she tried, but I have like hidden veins under layers of skin and she's poking and she's poking. And she said, I'm so sorry, Rebecca, but I can't find a vein and you cannot have your abortion today. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the third thing to get in the way. Why is this happening to me? And I now, looking back, see God like tearing down every wall, breaking down every lie, trying to get me um, to follow him and, and to see his plan, but I just couldn't. And so they scheduled another appointment, and I will never forget that day. It was March 13th of 2013, and I walked in, and I had a doctor's note with my blood type, and um, they told me how to get Medicaid or Medi-Cal in California to cover it. So I had two pieces of paper and I handed them to the receptionist and I was pulled back into the final room with a woman and she has the abortion pill in a little Dixie cup. And she says, you know, once you start this, there's no going back. And I said, I know. And, and she said, are you sure you want to do this? And all I could do was nod. I was scared. I was sad. The day had finally come and I just nodded. And she said, you know, Rebecca, you're going to have to say something more than that. Just because you're sad doesn't mean you're making the wrong decision. And I thought, okay, here's a woman who sat in this room with hundreds, maybe thousands of other girls. She knows that this is a crappy decision, and I feel awful, and it's sad, but who's to say I'm going to regret it tomorrow or a year from now? And with that, I took the Dixie cup, and I swallowed the abortion pill in front of her, and they check your mouth to make sure you really swallowed it. And she sent me on my way with a brown paper bag, just like what you would like pack somebody's lunch in. And I got to my car, which only took about 90 seconds, and I sat down, and it was like that foggy lens I was trying to see through had become clear as day, and I could now see fully what I had just done. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just killed my baby. Like, I don't even believe in abortion. I just compromised my morals. I have a child at home that I love very much. How did I even get here? I'm panicking. What is the pill doing to my baby right now? And the best way I can describe it, it's like Satan is so good at false illumination. And this choice, this abortion clinic, having this abortion seemed so like the right thing to do. Like everything was lit and it was bright up. And as soon as I walked out after taking that abortion pill, it was like he blew all the candles out or he shut off the electricity and he was like, gotcha, like now you're alone and it's dark and you're scared and now you're grieving and that's what you get for listening to me and not to God.
And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did this. What is gonna happen? And I prayed right then and there. And I said, God, if there's a way out of here, please help me find it. And if not, please help me to forgive myself because I don't know how I can. And the day was March 13th, like I said. It was never supposed to happen on that day, but it did. And it kept getting pushed back. And the next day, March 14th, was Eli's first birthday. And I thought, oh my gosh, tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and every single March 14th here on out is gonna be a day that I brought one baby into this world and took another one out, literally flushed it down the toilet. And after I prayed, at least I prayed this time, I turned to my phone again and I started looking for help. And I just typed in, I started a medication abortion and I don't wanna finish it. I took the first abortion pill and I've changed my mind. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm finally so desperate that I'm on like page two of Google and that's when things start getting weird. And you're like, what the heck? This is not what I'm looking for. And I found uh, girls like me that had asked the same question. Uh, years before, since medication abortion became legal in 2001, only the answer that they received were, you have to finish what you started, you could have a partially completed abortion, this is very toxic to your baby, I mean, to your body. And I thought, I can't do that. And so finally, scrolling through page two, I find one pregnancy center. And they were eight hours away from me. And I called. I didn't know who was going to be on the other end of that phone, if it was going to be religious people, if it was going to be like the angry sign holders that were going to like condemn me. I had no idea, but I, I certainly wasn't going to turn down help. And this woman answered. She was a nurse manager at a life-affirming pregnancy clinic. And it was like Jesus was speaking to me. Like she was calm and she was assuring and she was patient. She was all of the things that, that Jesus is. And I wasn't being rushed. And she asked about my life and why I had made this decision and why I had changed my mind. And then she told me that her medical director had experimented with six women. And basically, because the pill that I took robs the baby of progesterone, he injected them with progesterone um, in hopes that the abortion pill would outcompete, the progesterone would outcompete the abortion pill. And she said, this is so early on, there's not many tests, people don't think this is gonna work, but you have a chance of saving your baby. And I said, absolutely, like, let's do this. And we worked tirelessly to find a doctor in my area that would take me. And even the pro-life one said, I'm so sorry, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And it was like, when I wanted the abortion, everyone was there to help me. Everyone was there to give me the pill and to say, you're doing the right thing and all this stuff. And the second I changed my mind, they were like, mm, don't know what to do with you. There's no help for you. And I was stuck in this gray area where even medical professionals wouldn't treat me. And so finally we found a doctor two hours away and I drove and I said, you know, I've taken the abortion pill and I've changed my mind. And he immediately started me on progesterone injections, which I continued for about um, six weeks, the remainder of my first trimester. And Planned Parenthood had called and I explained to them I had changed my mind. I'm sorry I didn't ever go back to make sure the abortion was successful. And they said, do you have any idea what you're doing? And I'm like 18. I'm like, no, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm very scared. I'm living on a prayer right now. And they said, because if your baby survives, which it probably won't, um, he or she could have severe abnormalities. And I was like, oh my gosh, like now I'm going to have a baby who there's something wrong and that's not the biggest deal in the world. We can get help for that. But having to look at a child and say, you were born this way because of a decision I made, 
um, was hard to wrestle with. And so during that time, I transferred from Sac State to a private Christian university because I just wanted to be surrounded in prayer and love and Jesus. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And I carried two term, a full 40 weeks. And on October 20th of 2013, I gave birth to another little boy. And on the, I named him Zachariah, which means the Lord remembered. Um, because I think that God had his hand over our entire situation. And I could tell you all sorts of things about Zachariah, but for the sake of time, I won't. I think we have some pictures of him. <laughs> uh, do we have one more of him? And so because of this pregnancy center and really because of Jesus working through this pregnancy center, um, not only was Zachariah's Zachariah's life saved, obviously, but my story didn't have to end there in despair and brokenness. And I was, um, I no longer look at him and see um, a painful mistake, not he's a mistake, but the abortion would be my painful mistake. I just see grace and love and a miracle and a little boy that was never supposed to be here and now he is. And I want to show you a couple pictures of my life now. So this is me and them. In 2017, graduating from college, which I definitely didn't think was possible. And here's my super hot husband, who's really annoying sometimes. Um, last year, we've been married for almost a year, and it's what I want to leave you with is I was so scared to say yes to God, so scared. And this is what was waiting for me. This life and these babies and this husband and this ministry is what was waiting for me. Um, so I just encourage you, no matter where you are, if we share similarities in stories or not, or whatever you're going through, to just say yes to God because there's such a better life waiting for you on the other side. Thank you so much.